Irish NFL show. Firstly, thank you for listening to the show. We truly appreciate all our listeners. If you are enjoying the show, please consider rating, reviewing, and subscribing on whichever podcast platform you are listening on. It makes a huge difference. It helps others to find the show, and we would massively appreciate it. Also, reach out to us on social media. We love interacting with listeners and with fans from wherever you are in the world. And with that said, on with today's episode. Welcome into the Irish NFL show. Kind of moving away from our normal pattern of podcasts and reflecting on different teams throughout the course of the season in the lead up to the NFL draft. This week, just delighted to have John Sheeran from Fanjul. John is originally from Ballina, County Mayo, but he's based in the States for for quite some time there. John, it's great to have you on the Irish NFL show. Ah, pleasure to be here. I can't believe it's been this long. So, uh, yeah, excited. Not quite Ballina, but very close. Um, no one else would know the small town of Foxford, I'm sure. I usually get blankets thrown at me when people uh, think of Foxford. So, uh, Ballina is close enough. You never know. We might get some people engaging with the podcast afterwards who are throwing out that they do know that area very <laughs> well. Yeah, um, I, I believe you You took time out to meet Colin when you were in, in, in Arizona the Super Bowl, and I suppose that's how this, this podcast came about. For people listening in, do you want to give your background? Because we've had numerous people on who are Irish-based in the States. How did it come about for you uh, to go to the States and ultimately, I suppose, settle there and have this opportunity to work with Fanjo? Yeah, just very privileged and lucky, honestly. I mean, uh, I've been in the betting industry for far longer than I would care to admit. I think it's certainly heading for 23 or 4 years at this point and started on the racetrack like most everybody else in Ireland and uh, eventually found my way into uh, working in Betfair and then we merged with Paddy Power and end up in Paddy Power and then obviously uh, before uh, regulated sports betting in, in 2018 was uh, repealed through PASPA um, got the opportunity to come over, be one of the first guys on the ground over here with FanDuel. And it was honestly a six months secondment. And uh, my wife and, and two small kids were in Ireland at the time in Dublin. And, um, yeah, they, I spent every six or eight weeks traveling over and back. And then eventually I uh, decided to commit full time in that February of 19. And, uh, the girls came over that summer and yeah, nearly five years later, here we are. You, you seem to have a lot of affiliation still for, for back home. You, you get home much at all? Uh, we try and get home twice a year, I would say, probably once in the summer and certainly don't tr- uh, don't want to miss Christmas either. And I think COVID was tough for everybody, but particularly those of us that couldn't travel over and back from the US home, we missed a Christmas or two. And uh, yeah, it's great now that everything is back somewhat closer to normal and we get the opportunity to get over and back. Um. You say you're about now, Captain Mayo is a non-suffering uh, Mayo GA fan after all these near misses throughout the course of the last 10, 15 years from a team uh, perspective. I, I, I can't have a dub bring that up to me again. Uh, yeah, I'm, 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 I, I've been guilty. I think I've been at, you know, my friends say maybe stop going. I think I've been at 13 all the finals all in and I usually left and been home pretty quickly thereafter. Uh, a lot of the dubs will take plenty of joy in that, but yeah, you know, honestly, from a from a Gaelic football perspective, I very rarely miss a game, even over here, either GA Go or TG Cahar or whatever it might be, still get access to it. And um, yeah, privileged to watch, you know, Mayo compete at the level that they have with a powerhouse like Dublin. I think we were probably the only ones for seven or eight years to put it up to the dub. So uh, it would have been nice to get one over the line for sure. And I, I always said, 
you know, when they eventually do, um, don't bother coming and look for me. I'll come back whenever, um, whenever I'm finished drinking. But uh, it would be some celebration I can only imagine. Yeah, I do. I don't want anybody to turn this into a GTA podcast, but I do reflect on and having beat all those six South Orleans and, and many other Orleans who still have won. You reflect on those one point margin victories against me on how difficult those games were and you know, and even the replay game in I think first of October two thousand and sixteen. I still remember the date specifically I think it wasn't too far away from when my first child was born and how how difficult that game was to win the Mayo I've always been very competitive and it's, it is unfortunate they haven't found a way to win an all Ireland yet. But you are based in in, in on the East Coast, so you know, in, and you have great affiliation with New York. We talked about the fact that we're both sport the Giants, but just one more question on the GEA front, because GEA is is big on the on the news front over there over the course of the last week, having seen New York win their first championship game at the weekend. I mean, I'm sure like there's a community that are really keen on GEA. How how much is it for the local people over there to finally kind of get that one over the line? Yeah, it's like a little parish, honestly. Um, some of we we play a bit of soccer here once a week, and. Some of our colleagues here begin in into the guy, and some of them actually uh, play for Manhattan Gale. So I want to give those guys a shout out. And uh, they were all in in Gailey Park on Saturday evening. I I couldn't make it out there, but um, it was uh, an amazing. Uh, I watched the end of it on on the stream, and it was just an amazing ending, an incredible story. You know, to have those guys finally get over the the, the hump and and get a win is is just amazing. So. Yeah, everyone's super excited. Uh, like I said, like a little parish, and I can only imagine the carnage that went on in Woodlawn last Saturday evening. Uh, I, I'm friends with Darren Frell a long time back before his media days. We actually worked together when we were students back a long time ago. We've had Darren on this call, on this show, and obviously he's from Galway, and he was there covering it for RT at the weekend. And he, you know, he's put up some fantastic social stuff around the fact that he, it's a kind of a game he'll never forget. And he's he's kind of taught about the fact that he's covered so many different bigger events on Ireland and all the rest hurling finals but that who said is one that will stick in his mind so it's great to see that achievement um, over the course of the last few years the Irish NFL show has had a number of uh, betting partners who have kind of sponsored the show and Matchbook and various stuff and other ones that's uh, we've had a UK based one so do you want to just kind of give us a little bit of I suppose thoughts on the role in which you have at the moment with FanDuel what that entails from various different sports whether is it, is it predominantly NFL or is it or US sports involved what, what's the role what the role entails yeah look uh, when I came over first my background's all in odds making primarily actually centred around horse racing and international horse racing at that a keen focus on the US um, uh, but when we came over it was myself and a colleague who is our head NFL trader who's actually an English uh, lad um, based in, in Australia where we have a different brand and we were the first two on the ground and, and effectively the job was to set the foundations for the risk and trading team to be sprung up here in the U.S. to be focused uh, locally to recruit and educate and train a lot of really smart, good, young, enthusiastic people about their core sports, and that's the avenue that we explored. And you know that team from the two of us sitting in what we called a broom closet back in 2018 very quickly became there's 50 or 60 guys here today uh, in in this office here with me, and you know they are responsible for all of the odds compilation that we do. Um, for all of the core U.S. sports that we own for the entire Flutter organization. So the prices you see in Ireland or in England on Paddy Power or Skybet are actually uh, generated from this office here. So very privileged. Um, we're amazing and um, successful uh, business so far. We've, you know, almost 50% market share in the U.S., which is 
an incredible number. We'd have bitten your hand off at the start for less than half of that. So it's been uh, really good to see the fruits of those early labours. And it was certainly some tough um, seven-day weeks and sweating a lot of NFL endings uh, back in 2018. And thankfully now with our scale and size, there's a little bit more of a relaxed uh, view to it. And we kind of make sure that we do the best job we can in assessing the probabilities of each team winning a Super Bowl or winning each game individually or player prop performance has been one of the big growth stories here in the U.S. over the last four years. Uh, if we do those things right, the rest of them kind of look after themselves in terms of whatever way the cards fall. Yeah, as a man who bets on, on the NFL weekly throughout the course of the season, I, I fully understand, the, you know, in terms of where the odds originate from, whether it's Vegas and Fangio and all the trace different or, um, so it's betting in the States and obviously then Paddy Power and as you said, battery six five, and they all kind of draw down from there. But just in the time of scaling up the business, I mean, the NFL betting industry is it's you know it's night and day compared to what it was four or five years ago. Essentially, if I remember it correctly, you had your your money line, your overalls, and you might have four touchdowns. But now you're in a situation where bet builders are so popular will come each week of the season, and and the various different components. I mean, when you're looking at the betting market throughout the course of the season. Like, where do you see the key focus? Is it in-play betting or is it more so just, you know, like I find that over here in particular, people are moving away from your accumulators. It's all about in-game betting and trying to adapt to the pricing throughout the course of the game and finding value. Is that what you see kind of the, the key commands of the business these days? Yeah, honestly, the focus is entirely for us on player level, deeper levels of involvement in the game. And, you know, I think the NBA has been a really good example um, of how we've managed through product development on betting sites uh, primarily led by our brands because the same game parlay product or the bet builder as you see it in in Ireland uh, originated in in 2012 in Australia under our sports bet brand so we're, we've had a huge advantage in being able to leverage the interest and growth in the player level performance to change how not fans just bet but actually engage with the entire game if you look at you know the bounce of a ball in the NBA or every pass every rush attempt every reception meaning something to somebody and people are now tuning into games for longer becoming a bigger fan because they're not just focused on you know whether or not the total is going to go over in the last game or last quarter or whether or not the spread hits they're actually invested in every single play and organically becoming a bigger fan of the game which what we hear all the time from the leagues is a generally super positive story and as a result we've seen leagues like the NFL change their viewpoint entirely on betting partners over the last four years if you'd have told me that we'd be in the office with the nfl you know two three times a year four years ago i would have laughed at you and now that's the case they're actively seeking our input as they talk about you know policy changes rule changes what they incorporate in box scores um, and that is all driven by the fans desire to bet be involved in the game at that deeper level and we were lucky just with that we had an advantage over the marketplace and first mover on that stuff where is the growth from a, I suppose, from a press bar comparison? Like, do you find it's predominantly, is it, is it seasonal? Like, are NFL still the number one? Or like we've seen recently with the new um, the new um, baseball season starting. And even from looking at that here, like, I don't recall bet builders being on, you know, baseball games, but now it's it's going to be given. Now, you know, you look at it um, on our side of the world in terms of being able to go, those bets are provided for you. I never really recall that. Now, obviously, with NFL, it was always there, but. Is it a seasonal thing or is, is NFL still kind of the king and NBA and MLB are nagging minds? 
NFL is the king just because you get that deeper level of engagement with the season when it's on from a broad spectrum of the population in the US and even internationally. Um, our handle is actually bigger on N NBA and MLB, but that's just a game count thing, right? We still are genuinely focused on September first and foremost and what we can do to retain customers through the summer and when they're betting on baseball and how we make sure that we continue to serve them good products and experiences that leave them ultimately hanging around on the FanDuel, the Paddy Power, the Skybet uh, websites when the NFL season comes around. So it's certainly acquisition, investment in marketing, partnership dollars, all uh, certainly king at NFL level. Um, you're fortunate, obviously, in the role you earn to cover a certain number of events and go to all of them and, you know, obviously Super Bowls and stuff like the luxury of this road that you get to obviously go to these particular events. Is there anyone that stands out like this year's Super Bowl? Like we've been to the last two Super Bowls, but and I talked coming home from LA last year, we we witnessed a fantastic Super Bowl, but it was it wasn't anything close to what we experienced this year with the Chiefs beating the Eagles. Yeah, I don't have much left on my bucket list. I got that uh, gust out of the way last week, and yeah, like you said, I've been at the last two. I thought LA was amazing. I I can't tell your listeners what an amazing experience it is to be at a Super Bowl. Um, both of the last two years, I've made sure to be in the ground 90 minutes beforehand and often left, you know, free beers behind me when all of my colleagues and friends are happy to stay there and getting closer to kickoff. I, I can't explain the experience as an NFL fan. I'm sure all of your listeners are, are very jealous. I just feel incredibly lucky, like you said, in the role and the partnerships that we look after and um, to be able to get invited to those events. And uh, like I said, very, very privileged I don't know how to put into words what an amazing experience. It's certainly number one. Outside of Mayo winning an All-Ireland final, I think Super Bowl for me tops any other experience I've had in the sporting environment for sure. Yeah, I've been to Champions League finals and as similar to yourself, I've been to the last two Super Bowls. People have asked me how to explain it. It's just on another level. And kind of similarities in many ways, albeit it's different kind of landscape. We cover the game here. We go to the games in London. We were at the Munich game this year, so the NFL have rewarded us for our hard work and dedication by allowing us to be in a position to go to the Super Bowl. And someone asked me recently, having come back from Arizona, when I thought of, the, I suppose, the build-up to the Super Bowl. And having been having the experience that you're in, I compared it to being at Cheltenham. Radio Row is the Cheltenham, uh, except everybody's there to talk about the NFL and that particular game, as opposed to talking about a week-long betting. You had, your, you had time out to go to Radio, Radio Row as well, did you? Yeah, I've I've been lucky enough. I've I've done some of the media work for FanDuel over the last four or five years, and done things like Pat McAfee's show, who we've had a great partnership with for the last couple of years, and getting the opportunity to be on his show or, or one of his sets that we've run for him out there is just an incredible experience. Like you said, you're walking around, you bump into Russell Wilson, and you know everybody's there, um, really, really. Um, open with their time and, and willing to talk to everybody from different backgrounds. And the first thing I'm sure you've experienced it is, is they can't really process why someone with an Irish accent is talking about uh, the NFL at the level that we tend to with, the, with those people. So again, just very, very privileged and thankful. And um, yeah, it's easy to forget how, how lucky we are in our positions, I think, sometimes. Yeah, we were fortunate to have Mike Florio on the show last week. I think he was a little taken back with a level of in-depth Knowledge that you tell him what we're sharing with him in terms of discussing players in the lead up to the draft in two weeks. Look, we're both Giants fans, so I think we should we should, we have to take a few minutes out to discuss what's been a very successful year. And I think once we got over the sting of 
how difficult the loss was in the in the divisional round to the Eagles. I think realistically, taking a step back, we were never in the same ballpark as them. You know, we did match up really well for them, and I think some of us, including myself, maybe got carried away with it. The win against the Vikings in the wildcard game, like from where we were last year to where we were now, with a really functional GM and head coach. I mean, it, things can only get better. And I was on a Giants podcast last night, and I said the only thing that worries me leading into this draft, we've seen many a GM in their first year knock the draft out of the park with the players they bring in and everything seems to work and click and then the following year it just goes a, a completely different route but I don't sense that with this with this particular organisation in terms of the guys they have working for them now like are you how surprised now are you like of how things have worked out so quickly and are we going to be challenging again come, come September realistically to be up there with the Eagles and the Cowboys uh, I think all of what you said I've Fully agree with. I think you know we were really concerned as Giants fans, but also as we talked about setting the Lions game or the Lions for those games last year, you know they were just a horrible matchup for that Giants team. Everything they were good at, that's where our, the weaknesses for the Giants were. And you know, I think thinking about to get to that level, they certainly need to you know make another huge step forward. But at forty to one, like we have them now for the Super Bowl, like this time last year, that was one hundred and fifty to one. I think that even in isolation illustrates the improvements you made. But when you move away from somebody like Gettleman and you move it, you know, forward the way that they have, I just have a lot of trust now in the decisions that they make. I think back to the draft and the, the picks that they made. I thought they were incredibly smart. I thought the Jets did the same as well, actually. Um, lucky enough to be in Vegas at that draft, and I was super impressed with what they did to get you know, Evan Neal and Thibodeau as well. So... I think you could see the plan starting to form um, in Dayball's mind about what he needed to do. And I think you saw a trust from him from the outside in Daniel Jones as well. And he figured if I can help protect him, then maybe there's a chance for him to take that step forward because, you know, the turnovers have always been an issue. But outside of that, his game management, his poise, you know, his, his ability to run, which we saw a lot last year, I think were underutilized historically. And, you know, you just have a lot of trust now that they can pull that forward it set some of those foundational works. It's disappointing to see what Saquon said yesterday and come out with his perspective. I don't know whether that's, you know, him being a little annoyed or or whether it's just a money ploy. But um, if they can solve that uh, and get him to sign the tag, then I think you've got some building blocks to be able to move forward. And I don't really trust a whole lot of other people as much as I would the likes of Dable to make good decisions. So I think it's fair that we can expect. Uh, levels of improvement moving forward from the Giants and hopefully that gets us back to you know to where they've been historically yeah I was just going to touch on the draft because we're two weeks out from the draft um, the betting market at the moment I'm not sure if you have this priced up on your side but on our side of the world Giants wide receiver first round pick um, 11 to 10 um, short but when you see them bringing in 15 to 16 wide receivers yesterday as part of their kind of pre-draft kind of uh, I suppose work and like it's, it's it's no different than any other team so I'm like I'm not going to get carried away but it does in a strange way I'm saying it looks value and obviously people have a different way of betting you know whether they want like bigger pricing but 11 to 10 me 11 to 10 for me in a, in a it could, like, I look at cornerback I look at offensive line I think wide receivers are bigger need. I think that 11 to 10 is, is a bit of value yeah I think we're we're about plus 120 which equates to 6 to 5 and you're probably seeing that market that we've generated here through on, on the Paddy Power site. So, yeah, look, I think that's the obvious place. I think the building blocks that we said, the next step is to put more talent around Daniel Jones. And, you know, if we keep Saquon happy, 
you know, having an option not to rely on it coming down to those two seems to make sense. So that's why it's favourite. Uh, I think it's very likely they go that way as well. Um, like you said, the clues are there from what they've done. Uh, no different to what other teams are doing, but certainly um, strong favouritism for them to go that way. And I think that would be the right decision as well. One is the betting market like for years when it comes to draft because we're so used to kind of focusing on, on betting on, on play essentially in, in terms of games. But the draft is a betting heat in itself and I've been on the right side of many a draft bet but on the wrong side of a few. It's a bit like anti-post betting in, in a sense. And like last month it was CJ Stroud as the first pick. It was a given. And I think he was in around one to four on Eric Verrods and um, now all of a sudden it's flipped over the course of the last week and it looks like Bryce Young is in a more pick. Are you seeing any particular trends from a better perspective of where the money's going in the lead up to the draft? Yeah, uh, pretty much as you've laid it out, um, you know, we saw when Carolina um, made the move for the number one pick, uh, an incredible flux of money for Stroud. And like you said, he was a pre pretty prohibitive favourite. Um, for me, Bryce Young is the best um, potential-wise. Size will obviously be the obvious concern that people go to with him. But, uh, and I don't, never like, I don't want to break my own, um, my own ideas of, you know, I would wait and see a good quarterback out of Alabama in the NFL before I would draft one. I think they get some uh, shock when they find themselves in the pro leagues, given the you know the sheer level of talent they have around them to protect them, the talent that they have down the field. And I think you saw a little bit of that with like Trevor Lawrence leaving Clemson with the team that he had going to the Jags, um, obviously with a terrible coach at the time. And I think that's the concern you would have with Bryce Young in addition to his uh, his size. Um, but now what we've seen is just really strong, heavy bets for Bryce Young to be that number one pick. And I think our viewpoint today is it would be very surprising if it's not him going number one. Uh, I don't ever like to tip up a minus 270 shot or a 4 to 11 a shot in Europe. But um, from what we've seen here with big bets and retail locations in America, it seems very likely um, that the number one pick will be Bryce Young. And I tipped up four to nine on Will Anderson to be the first defensive player about six weeks ago, and, and one guy asked me, "Am I, am I mad?" And uh, but now he's one to four. Like he's one to four, and realistically, unless some, someone decides to go down the the Jalen Carter route, but judging by the concerns people have with the off the field antics, that looked like that. Looked, now the guy is telling me it was, it was a great pair if, if it comes <laughs> to fruition. Uh, the Anthony Richardson one, I'm going to touch just finally touch on this from a draft betting perspective, is really an intriguing one because. There's many kind of analysts out there that don't think he's really worthy of being picked in the top five. Some of them down, say, 20 to 32. Maybe there isn't a team down there that has a real quarterback need. But is the money really coming from Because his odds on at the moment in the room, five to six, in terms of air pricing from an odds perspective, to be the tort pick. So from when you look at that, then you're making an assumption that someone's going to move up to three to take him. And... I look at Will Anderson, he was in the round three to one to be picked at three, but he's also around three to one to be picked at four. So you could kind of double your money essentially and take away the even price on him in the tour to four people. From an anti Richardson perspective, like that's the is that's the is that the hot one at the moment? Uh, not really. I would say almost the opposite. Yes, he's the favourite in the market, but there's certainly a degree of uh, concern, I think, and we've seen money on people like Will when that Will Anderson to go number three um in his place. So like you said, it'll require someone jumping up to three to take Anthony Richardson. I think he's an incredible athlete. I mean, I don't know many people have seen the likes of him in a long, long time. I know there's been those comparisons to Cam Newton, but um, we are seeing some degree of, of concern about him going number three. And like you said, it'll play out over time. And 
that's what makes pricing these markets really difficult is you're trying to second guess what a strategy from a team further down is, what their needs are, and whether or not Anthony Richardson is somebody that fits the portfolio, what they're shopping for. And we obviously don't know, like you don't know what's going on in the background as well. So this is always a very difficult time of year for us to actually make any money. And a lot of the time we view the draft as being um, relevant from an NFL perspective at a point in the year when we're almost the midpoint away from it and uh, keeping it relevant is important. Um, talents coming from the college scene and everyone has a bit of hope at the start of the season as well. So um, a tough one for us to make money on though. But yeah, I, I'd be a little wary of Anthony Richardson in number three from what we see. You touched on you were in Vegas last year for, for the for the draft. It, it was probably when the marquee draft was supposed to come in out cold. And it just, it's the craziness of the draft and, and the night setup. up. Is it a work environment for you on draft night? Are you, are you, do you find a way to enjoy the events and, and take it in as a fan or is it more focus on people taking the, the opportunity to, to bet with fans on the night? Yeah, look, it's a good question. I think, you know, separating the needs of the book financially from what you need to get out of an experience has been one of the hardest things that I've found. We, you know, you asked me earlier about the scale of the business. I think the first soup, the first NFL weekend in 2018, I think we took $2 million in handle the entire weekend. And I remember turning to my colleague and saying, you know, this business is huge and that's a tiny sum of money. Now we did about $260 million in handle or, or turnover um, on the Super Bowl, um, nearly two times the amount of volume on the FanDuel brand as in the entire state of Nevada, let alone Las Vegas. So um, you've had to very quickly separate your mind from what's happening on the field, enjoying the experience versus, you know, whether or not we're winning or losing money, which is, you know, part of the responsibility of the job. So um, we've been lucky and um, results have been good. Our executive team have been really good at understanding that volatility happens in the betting world, particularly given that a lot of them didn't have betting backgrounds historically. Um, and that's been an experience. But yeah, in general, I've managed to segregate those two things um, easily in my mind and worry about what needs to be worried about on Monday morning. It's quite not the same, but we actually identify weekends where we need to make sure our social engagement is ready in terms of having the resources. Week one, as you said, massive weekend, playoffs, Super Bowl, it's making sure we have people available to engage with the audience when they're interacting throughout the course of the night, red zone in particular, when it's, you mean, you know yourself, you get two or three plays in the space of a couple of minutes in the witching hour and everything just goes bananas. Um, my final question for you, and I could be could be very, very wrong, um, there's a guilty secret out there that you're an Arsenal fan, is that, is that true? Yeah, I'm a big Arsenal fan. I was I've been to two games this season already, and I'm trying to figure out if there's a way I can get home for, uh, for Brighton. Um, yeah, uh, my wife will tell you Sunday was not a good experience for anyone in my house, including my two little daughters. Uh, I think one question was asked why I was shouting at the TV. Um, it's been an incredible season. I'm super excited by what Arteta has done and I think you saw in the first 35 minutes the capabilities of the team that are still incredibly young and undoubtedly need investment in certain areas um, but it's all so so promising and even to be in the conversation with Man City right now I think given what we've seen for them in the last two weeks in particular and certainly in the Champions League um, just an incredible achievement from where we were a couple of years ago. A huge month ahead for Arsenal and I suppose a busy few weeks ahead for you and Fangio. Um, John, I really appreciate your time. You said earlier on if Mayo were to win an All-Ireland, you'd 
they'll, they won't go looking for you. Maybe maybe that'll be just May when if Arsenal find a way to win the league. <laughs> no, looking for you. But uh, no, look, we really appreciate you giving up your time to come on the Irish NFL show and we look forward to having you back on near the new NFL season. Look forward to it. Thanks very much for having me. Appreciate it.